This is Defenders TV Podcast episode 144, where we're talking about Jessica Jones season 2, episode 6, aka FaceTime. Welcome back, fellow Defenders. It is I, Chris Jones, one of your hosts of Defenders TV Podcast. And in this episode, episode 144, we're talking to episode 6, a.k.a. FaceTime. I am joined by the illustrious co-hosts. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello, it is I, Leclerc. No, it is John, your other host. <laughs> yes, you may be wondering why we are a bit... Uh, Energized? Well, it is because we are recording on St. Patrick's Day. We mm. have a, a two fully blooded Irish people here, and then one person that was brought along <laughs> just for the fun of it. I'm a plastic exactly, yeah. exactly, and they, and they rule. You are coated in the amazing Irishness that is Ireland, exactly. And yeah, anyway, before we get into that one, uh, which could get even worse. <laughs> well, fellow defenders, thank you so much for coming here. And listening to us as this is quite an episode, um, and especially the ending. But before we get to any of that, I'm not going to go through the usual. Uh, you know where to find us by now. It's we've had 144 times of telling you where to go, what to do. Well, one more thing: don't forget to just go over to DefendersTVPodcast.com, where you can go <laughs> everywhere else, and you can talk to us and find us everywhere, and subscribe to us everywhere. But don't forget, we do like hearing your feedback. So, send us your voicemails, send us your feedback, send us your emails. We just want to know what you're thinking about all the episodes so far. Actually, if you've already watched ahead, you can send those ones too. Just don't forget to number them so we don't get spoiled ourselves. Because apparently there are some big spoilers in this. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> so, gentlemen, let's get on to some feedback some we've received for some previous episodes. Uh, we had the illustrious and the, the charming... Uh, Robert Phillips, as you may have guessed, I've got a thesaurus for the moment, and I'm just using lots of words. <laughs> but uh, Robert Phillips wrote on Facebook, First up, why am I doing this at the pace of the pod watch thing? This cliffhanger thing is very impressive. <laughs> yes, yes, see, it really is. Poor Jessica. Having to drop to the supermarket knockdown price Jim Bean and apologize to Proto Hellcat. Good job, sexy super turned up with a bottle of Maker's Mark, and what a gentleman the ex-felon turns out to be. Also greatly enjoys the cut-to-bed surprise with Trish and Slytherin, who is a slimy toad of the highest order. I'm guessing it's a (laughs) South of England accent, unlike the lovely ex-Merseyside tones of John that makes him evil. (laughs) (laughs) Sillaria! It's Sillaria! Jerry is turning out to be far more nuanced and engaging than I thought. The consultation of desperation was magnificent. Her doctor is superb. And I mentioned the pod to Sister Julie. She looked at me blankly. Sorry, Titular Jones. <laughs> Robert, Robert, I'm loving this. You're getting, like, you're bringing, all, tried. The, you're bringing all the things. You're doing all what I'm asking. This is fantastic. For a moment, though, I did think Sister Sister Julie that uh, Robert had gone to the local nunnery or something. Mm. To, and they're like, we'll have none of this Jessica Jones or something. You know, it's all. I, that's kind of what, I, I, what I'm going to ask, Robert. Please come back and let us know. Is this actually your sister, Julie? Or is this Sister Julie uh, in terms of the local nunnery? Because she may think that we are possessed by evil demons 
Well, we are. Wait, hey guys, we're doing a crossover event called Damnation right now. Like you can, yeah, <laughs> there is a lot of devil and Mephisto and everything and had demons involved. So if it's your sister, Julie, okay, we we can work with that. She's looking at you blankly, but we can work on it. Uh, if it's sister, Julie, yeah, I don't know what to do. I'm really loving. Robert's naming of Griffin as Slytherin, since I was calling him Gryffindor a few weeks ago. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and now he's gone to Slytherin. Uh, yeah, is he evil? I think we'll, uh, we still have a ways to go to find out. But, uh, but th- thanks so much for that feedback, Robert. Jeff Charles also came over to our Facebook page and says, I like the psychological angle of Jessica. Uh, I don't want her to be any less misanthropic, but it would be nice to see her come to grips with who she is. While I agree that Carrie Ann Moss is doing an outstanding job, I'm not getting much out of Hogarth's storyline. Interesting. Yeah, I'm finding Hogarth's storyline to be probably one of my favorites uh, this season so far. And yeah, it is quite cool having Jessica come to grips a bit with who she is this season. Um, this seems to be much more about her past and, and where she's coming from. So, yeah. Yeah, good. definitely. I, I think potentially, uh, Jeff, episode six might have changed your mind. I would like to, I'd like to know. Episode six is a bit of a turning point for, even for me. I was like, oh, this is going to get interesting now. We've got supers and things. Let us know what you thought of Hogarth's storyline now at episode six. Did, mm. Has this done anything for you or is this still kind of, are you still kind of meh? Yes. And our final piece of feedback comes in from Ronaldo. As a pianist and music teacher myself, can I just say that first of all, I do not condone nor endorse the treatment of the grand piano in this episode. <laughs> I did find the discordant version of the song played unnaturally intriguing though. Very 20th century. For me, a little gold nugget of this episode was the interaction between the detective and Jessica, with the detective telling her how he had nightmares from what Kilgrave did to the precinct. His validation of Jessica's actions and the actor's performance, I thought in that scene, was top notch. Mm -hmm. Completely agree, Ronaldo, on on this. Um, That is why I included it in the synopsis. (laughs) Just saying, Derek and Chris... Well, you included everything in the synopsis. I did, <laughs> I did, I did. Um, but Ronaldo goes on to finish watching it as I type this. So don't know if it reveals more, but Patsy's face says it all, I thought. Was that the most awkward position to place a woman whom you want to propose to? It was so secretive and Patsy was under the impression she was vying for the big time in her career. So awkward to watch. Yeah, I totally agree. I think we mentioned it on the podcast itself uh, about saying to a person, I'm going to put you in the middle of a room of all of your friends and family so you can't say no to me. Yeah, that's that's not the way to get uh, to get an engagement proposal accepted, really, is it? No, absolutely not. Well, just coming from a defender who recently did this, not the engagement part, not the awkward putting a woman in a room, that's I'm true. pretty sure Patsy should have just knocked out, like slapped him. Like, I, I would prefer that. Like, you're going to get, she's starting to, her, we seal the Hellcat. Hell she just kind of goes, no. Um, <laughs> no, no, you couldn't have that. Well, you couldn't you have that this it. early in the season. He's <laughs> still a good guy. You know, what is he? Well, I think to her, Griffin's still a good guy. And all she's saying is, I just don't think I can get married to you. So I don't think there's a slap deserved there. But I definitely don't think he should have put her in this position. I do agree. And as for the song that... Um, the monster, as we're going to call her until we get into our spoiler-filled part of this episode. Uh, that song that she's playing on the piano, I have had that in my head for weeks now. <laughs> yeah, stop. absolutely. I keep humming, humming it over and over to myself. Isn't it fun? Uh, it really is. Thank you so much for all that 
feedback for episode four and five. Fellow Defenders, please keep on sending it in through Facebook, voicemail, and email through the usual channels, so to speak. With that, onto our spoiler-filled review of episode six, aka FaceTime. Derek, lead the charge with the episode details. Sure. <laughs> Uh, this episode was written by Rayleigh Tucker, who's written many episodes of Supernatural and True Blood. Uh, Excellent. About, about 11 episodes of True Blood. So much more fantasy kind of characters that she's written in the past. A bit of horror, obviously, with, with both Supernatural and True Blood. Quite interesting uh, for this episode. Uh, the episode was directed by Jet Wilkinson, who we spoke about before because she directed 120 episodes of Home, Home and Away before <laughs> moving to the US and directing... Iron Fist, Mistress of All Agonies, and The Punisher Home. So we have spoken about her in The Defenders uh, in the past. But obviously likes to work with Australian actors. Yes. And gets to work with two of our favourite Australian actors. Uh, the actor who plays Malcolm DeCasse and the actress who plays Trish are both Australian. Yes, absolutely. Um, and she does like to be beside the seaside, obviously. Um, this director with Home and Away. She should do. It's kind of like the American younger Baywatch a bit more kind of family strife. In yeah. 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 It's more like Dallas. No, not even Dallas. It's like, <laughs> what's a telenovela? But, John, would you like to take us away with your synopsis for this episode and tell us what Rayleigh and Jack gave us? Sure. So you wanted it short. You're going to get it short. Jessica Gate crashes an exclusive country club on the hunt for the killer. And Trisha's new addiction begins to spiral out of control. There you go. That's short and sweet, isn't it? I'm putting myself out of a job here. <laughs> I, I, I should say thank you so much for Netflix for providing that brief summary mm-hmm. of episode six. Yes. Well, we've got lots to talk about, and there's obviously loads more that went on in the episode. Absolutely. And John made a special request for our case notes for this week, our top five case notes. He wants the big reveal at the end to be our case note one. We normally keep that for our final case note. But John, case note number one. Yes, the creep and the maniac have found happiness together, but not only that, drumroll, we get Jessica's Empire Strikes Back moment. Yes, Jessica, she is your mother. Yes. There was obviously a lot less uh, lightsabers and chopping off of hands here, but we certainly really just wow, 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 what a reveal. Um, there was a little bit of Darth Vader-y sort of scarring on the back of her head as well. Mm-hmm. So is this meat face? I think it might be. Um, those flashbacks that we saw, um, she could be protecting Jessica from everything that was going on yeah. rather than maybe trying to harm her. But uh, certainly I really was just absolutely loving this moment where... Um, the reveal of Meatface being Jessica's mum. Yes, and I did think it was very resonant with Star Wars for sure. Trish never told you who your mother was. She told me you killed her. No, Jessica, I am your mother. (laughs) Interesting that you say that. I am still wondering if this is Meatface. I know we have the burn marks on the back of her head, and she's obviously had some work done because Jessica was sitting directly opposite her in a bar, all she has is a wig on her head, and Jessica didn't recognize that's her mother. So there's obviously been a change to her facial structure, probably from work that's been done on her in the intervening period between when Jessica last saw her in that car crash when she was a kid and now. But 
I'm still wondering. We might, we'll probably get it explained next episode. I'm still wondering if this is the same person that we saw with the burnt face. Probably is, but going to reserve it until we see for definite in a future episode. I'm with you on this, Derek. Like, yeah, like, I do not think it is me face, but I, I know in scene one of episode seven, they'll probably go, and I was brutally scarred and I held you yeah. back. And we're like, God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it will go. Literally the first scene. I love this reveal. Like, I was genuinely shocked. Mm-hmm. Um, this was. Yeah, me too. This was a nice crux for the episode. Yes, this is very much a different style of ending from anything we've gotten previously on any of the Jessica Jones episodes, season one included, mm-hmm. where we typically get a dramatic ending or a action ending or cliffhanger of some kind. This was very much a psychological, like, smack in the face. Mm-hmm. I, I've never seen, and I've talked about my love of Christian Ritter. I just watched her on Jimmy Kimmel and she's knitting. Uh, it was amazing. But anyway, mm-hmm. this, her acting in this way, you could see the shock and the tears rolling down her eyes. Yeah. It's just like, what an ending. I really love the build up to it in this episode as well. Yeah, me too. Definitely. Um, I loved how it all kind of slowly clicked into place for Jessica until that final reveal. You know, we see the tune that, you know, there's some kind of recognition of, of that tune on her face. We get the Spinata drink that, Oscar was going to share with her in his apartment. And we have that story where she says, oh, my mum used to drink that. It was the first drink that I kind of effectively got pissed on. Uh, really good. Then we have the the dungeon gets a little darker. And then the perfume, the smashed perfume bottle, the photo, and then the reveal. You know, it, it's it's mommy here. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like that. And just the, those kind of layers of recognition of what's in the house from, from Jessica. Obviously some uh, a bit more um, on the nose than others. But I really liked that. And I, I liked how it also just linked back, say, with the Spinada drink. Just that um, that nice layering within the story and the episode so far. Just as we come to this reveal as well. I thought it was really good. Yeah, because we even have that moment where Jessica realizes that that her mother effectively has been drugged and dragged into the car. And she goes, oh, a powered woman being used as a weapon. Deja vu sucks ass. So she's saying effectively she instantly recognizes this is exactly what Kilgrave did to her. And it's being done again to another powered woman. Um, So we have this moment of recognition. What I really like about how it's done in this episode, I don't know whether it was the writing for this episode or whether it's an overall decision by Melissa Rosenberg, the showrunner. I like that it wasn't her looking at the spinata drink and going, this is the drink my mom used to drink. And looking at the perfume and going, this is the smell my mom used to smell like. You know, it, it, it's really good that it's just done in the reactions of Christian Ritter to these objects. So you realize she's building up the story. You don't have the voiceover saying anything and you don't have her saying it out loud. It's a really good choice. Yeah, it would have got really bad then if they had gone, oh my God, that woman has children just like myself and my brother used to look like. <laughs> um, yeah. So, gentlemen, I, I, I want to kind of twist this into a theory part, okay? Okay. Ooh, go on. So, do we think that the process that causes someone to get powered, done by Dr. Carl, mm-hmm. increases the anger levels and that the rage and uncontrolled, similar to Hulk? You, you, you hulk out, basically. You can't control. Mm-hmm. You kill people. You go crazy. 
because what we've seen is the mother was pushed and she pushed back. She got angry mm-hmm. and she threw Jessica. We've seen Jessica, as she gets angrier, punch a hole in the car and nearly kill someone. Yeah. Do we think this is a side effect? Because potentially what we were seeing in the security camera was not Dr. Carl uh, drugging and kidnapping the mother. It was like, you need to calm down. You're going to go crazy. As she gets angry, like, oh, she's chasing us, blah, blah, blah. The mother right. was going to go hurt Jessica. And he knows this. So this is a side of it. You see the chains to lock the mother down, maybe as the anger builds up. I, I don't know. I like this as a, a side effect of Jessica. The anger that she feels, the fact that she is a killer and she had to get angry. And mm-hmm. this is her demon now, not the bottle. Her anger. She has to deal with that. She will always get angry and she has to learn how to always be angry and deal. And yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I definitely think, think in the case of her mother, um, that the anger has, has come about because of the powers that she's been given and because she's more powerful than Jessica, um, twice or three times as powerful. I think Jessica described her earlier on in the series. That's also the same with the anger side of it, that Jessica is aggressive and angry as she as we've seen throughout the last two seasons but she's not to the level of her mother she's not no. going to smash and kill people as she gets angrier and angrier and angrier so i do like the fact that what jessica has taken as her mother being kidnapped and used as a weapon may just be that this guy is trying to take care of her and calm her down yeah yeah exactly it, it adds a different sort of dimension to dr carl that mm. you know maybe he's not that killgrave type person using her as a weapon although you know, her going around killing all these people, um, that still needs to be explained. But certainly here it's that, and I, I like that idea, Chris, that, you know, he's drugging her to save her from going to attack her, her daughter because yeah. she's so angry. And I also kind of like that in some ways for, with Jessica's anger, yes, it's manifest physically, but it's also just manifest through her witty repartee and, and cut downs that she does uh, as well. You know, it, it's it seems to kind of maybe it by suppressing it, she is this kind of fairly acid type lady who really does do verbal cut downs Mm -hmm. Uh, and i kind of like that that's kind of the 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 channel for for this sort of frustration that her mom seems to do it physically yeah uh, to release it rather than and jessica does as well but you know that's this is where a killer wit comes from absolutely one of jessica's superpowers is sarcasm yeah absolutely super sarcasm if you will yes i agree with you chris no i really enjoyed with this i I, i'm I'm in this stage now where i'm this season this storyline the, the IGH storyline is really interesting me. They had the potential to make this a generic, the government experimented on kids, they made superheroes, blah, 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 blah. They have gone nowhere near that. We, we theorized a lot last season in our catch-ups and recaps and just in general over pints. Like, what is the IGH? Mm-hmm. Who were the IGH? Things like that. We're learning so much more, um, so much more about this storyline. And I'm so happy because yeah. it's not on the nose, generic bad guy made 
bad guy made uh, supers by accident, or bad guy mm-hmm. made tried to make a weapon uh, out of kids. So I'm going to bring us on to case note number two, mm-hmm. because I wanted to see what you guys think about this. Our case note number two is basically Jessica and Trish are investigating uh, Ambrose Hose and IGH, and I like that uh, there's a connection on fabric and things like that, but yeah, guys, tell me, talk to me. Yes, um, I mean, we see here Jessica and Trish really working together here. Okay, Trish is slowly sort of uh, degrading over the course of this episode with mm-hmm. the after effects of her puffer. You know, we see these team in, these two teaming up at the jewellery shop, going to the golf course. Um, I love Justice Ambrose here on the golf course. If you've seen Total Recall, then we have Justice Ambrose played by Mel Johnson Jr., who played Benny, the taxi driver, the traitor in the original Total Recall. Mm-hmm. Um, his phrase was, I've got five kids to feed, uh, which ultimately um, got him caught out by uh, Schwarzenegger. At this moment, we have this um, sort of insight from him because he's only got one kid to feed, but his kid, Eric, really needed the help of Dr. Carl. Um, and I, I thought it was really interesting getting that additional perspective on, on Dr. Carl here. Um, again, just like we mentioned in our first point, this idea that maybe there are, you know, different motives coming from Dr. Carl. He's not this kind of evil genius, even though he's using octopuses as a, um, as, as a moniker here. Hopefully he could Hydra. be Hydra. <laughs> I really would love to see Hydra in Jessica Jones. It'd be fantastic. Mm. But, uh, I really like this moment on the, on the golf course as well. Um, you know, again, all boys, um, golf club, all male members. And I, I like that, you know, that little bit of, um, social commentary here of, you know, these things really are, um, maybe a little outdated depending on how you see them. I really enjoyed yeah. that being inserted in there as well here. You know, we've, we've had the, the idea of, um, women and, and how they're treated in, in the film industry here. And now we get another little bit just to, to layer some of this commentary, which I think is really, really important. Um, but certainly what I really liked is how, you know, there's that little bit more of a team up here between Jessica and Trish. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. I also like another person that's been treated by IGH and didn't get powers. So that's the, that's what's different about him to all the other subjects that we've had through IGH. He doesn't get powers. He's just, he's cured or he's given that's a, true. a fix, but didn't get powers. We do find out later on that Inez also got treatment at IGH, but may not be from the same person. So, and she doesn't seem to have any powers. But well, I think his power was his stunning good looks. Eric. Well, right. And in fact, there was a, a lot of good looks going around in, in this episode. Um, the, with Oscar, uh, whipping his top off. Um, we had Malcolm whipping his top off. Marvel abs were absolutely, um, front and center here. I mean, it is kind of like, uh, buses. You don't see them at all for five episodes and then suddenly you get two, <laughs> two in one. Ah, uh, yes. Purple paint passion. In yes. This <laughs> That was a slightly on the nose, wasn't it, guys? <laughs> it was really interesting. <laughs> it was hilarious. We did mention before that we've noticed that they are using purple a lot in this season. There's a couple of moments in this episode that it really jumped out, though. 
with Jerry in her bedroom and the sheets that she has are all purple around her and with particularly the sex scene uh, with the purple paint uh, was quite interesting. I thought it was a nice, I thought it was a nice touch. And once again, just to call out the fantastic artwork in this episode, all done by David Mack. That is, uh, there's some absolutely stunning one, the drawing of, uh, of Jessica Jones in bed. That's another one of his uh, pieces of artwork. Do you think, yeah, do you think we're going to get this uh, creation where the magic happens? That could be the title of the new painting. Is it going to be framed? The, the splodgy gooiness, you know, a lot of purple there, a lot of yellow paint. And I think there's probably a lot of white paint as well at some point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, really um, on the nose. Absolutely. But I thought it was really good. Um, and then we also get, you know, creepy sleep painting as well, which Jessica certainly doesn't appreciate because it potentially reminds her of Kilgrave a bit, you know, sort of be that idea of being watched where whilst you're in that vulnerable moment. But certainly I don't think there was any creepiness intended by, by Oscar, but he was just, you know, obviously basking in the warm afterglow uh, and painting uh, Jessica here. But she gives it, um, actually, as a present, all wrapped up later on in the, the the episode. And correct me if I'm wrong, that the 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 art the art again is done by the previous Jessica Jones artist from the comic books. Am I right, Avius? David Mack. Yes, David Mack does does all the cover artwork yeah. for um for all of the Elias comics and the recent uh, Jessica Jones run, the the one that was done by. Bendis just before he left Marvel. Yeah. Because so. I, I looked at it and went, oh, I know that. I know that style straight away. And I was like, we already talked about it. Okay. It's just to bring it up again because it's so beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just want to jump in here very, very quickly um, because we've kind of gone slightly off topic, but I have two points I want to make. Uh, so we mentioned just about uh, the, the female um, country club part being members, mm-hmm. etc. And we've previously discussed how the directors are all female. So apparently, uh, and I'm getting this, all the news is now coming out because we've been a, a couple of weeks since the launch. Um, they originally were just going for a 50-50 split uh, on the directors. They just wanted equality. Um, and that's that's that was the aim, equality. 50-50 on male and female directors. Um, and what they ended up seeing is that as they were interviewing the directors and speaking to people, the, the cream, if you will, was rising to the top. And they found that they had a more and more and more female directors who just had so much talent, uh, and had so much vision for this season and the series that they were like, no, do you know what? We're gonna, we're gonna lean into this as Cheryl Sandberg says. And that's how this whole piece came about. And some of these points, such as Jerry's conversation and the the, the entertainment industry and the, this element here of an all-man's club, um, I have to imagine that there is some of the writers and they were like, do you know what? We're going to use this as a platform now. We're going to... It makes sense in the story. And I think that's the, the most important thing about this. Yeah. Nothing we have seen, nothing that we have, um, has been written into this feels as like it's a soapbox. Yeah. Agreed, it's it's agreed. part of the story. Like it is, it is absolutely shocking in this day and age. And I'm a golfer. Like I'm, I'm, my whole family are a family of golfers, but it is still shocking to me in this day and age that they have things like Ladies Day, which is a Tuesday and it's the only day ladies are allowed to golf on a lot of golf courses. You know, the fact that you, you have to have a specific invitation from a male member of the course to be able to play a course. 
that's just absolutely shocking that that's still around and isn't called out every week that why does a club have 95% male members and maybe their wife might be allowed to be to play if they get a special invitation like that's crazy that we still have societies like that now and nobody talks about it yeah it's completely nuts uh for sure Mm -hmm. going from one completely nuts piece to uh to another theory which is a connection very much um uh, ambihose, so we see this fabric, uh, pantyhose and, uh, tights manufacturer, uh, and then IGH, International Garments Holdings. Mm. So there is a fabric theme we are finding around IGH. Uh, in other words, all the headquarters and their expenses and their front will most likely be fabric. Look at you with your haberdashery knowledge. I'm telling you. John, you are correct. Haberdashery is, in the English uh, dictionary, small items used in sewing, such as buttons, zips, and thread. And then in the American English, it's men's clothing and other items sold by a haberdasher. Because <laughs> um, what we need to, we, 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 we basically need two definitions, which are 100% different. I do like that one of the definitions is see haberdasher. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, it's, a great I, that's that's always the point where it's just like ah, oh, we're gonna get bored. Like here, just go go over here. It's like the blue yeah. link in Wikipedia. But mm-hmm. speaking of blue links, I'm gonna link us back to our third point, gentlemen. So we've got Hellcat on the prowl. What? Mm. Um, the one thing, and Derek, we've discussed this off air, is, and we want to be very clear about this. We we have discussed Hellcat quite a lot. Uh, we've this yeah. episode, last episode, and what we thought. When we were calling it the origin question mark of Hellcat, mm. th- these are two very different characters from the comics to what we are getting in this show. Uh, this yeah. is this is the the dark, gritty, drugged up, addicted Hellcat. Well, we're calling her Hellcat. Let's call her from now on. Let's call it the the addicted or the addiction fed Hellcat, also known as Patsy, mm-hmm. and then just Hellcat from the comic. Because Hellcat in the comic books is very much an upbeat character, fun, uh, not what we are getting here at all. Yeah, she's a much much lighter character in the books. Uh, and again, you know, she's been around for decades at this stage as well. So uh, a lot of dark and gritty characters in Marvel are quite recent creations or they've turned dark and gritty. Um, but yeah, Patsy Walker in the comic books is a bit a much lighter than this particular character that we're seeing on screen. I think back in season one when we saw Trish being in the show, we were talking about at some point in the future, she's eventually going to become Hellcat. So when we see her get some form of superpowers in the show, we've been calling it the creation of Hellcat. But want to be clear, it's very different from the comic book versions. Yeah, definitely. I really like, um, I just like the fact she's turned into almost a, uh, a WWE wrestler here. She's like, let's do this. You know, she's got to <laughs> just kind of get on with it. She's like, mm-hmm. come on, stop, stop faffing around, Jessica. We need to do this. And I, and I love that that's kind of manifest by her just prowling a lot around the pavements and sidewalks of New York and um, looking She's hoping to bump into trouble. Um, you know, she kicks the guy off the bus uh, with the red cap on for seemingly not very much. Apparently, he touched someone, but whether whether that was something malicious or whether that was something um, a, a more innocent, you just kind of don't know because in rushes Trish, uh, pumped up on puffer juice from IGH and bats him out of the uh, 
the bus doors. Yeah, and definitely had to rewatch the scene a few times to understand even had he done something wrong or did you just randomly choose someone? And I think, again, that's another good decision of the director of the show because the whole point is, regardless, she was looking for someone to beat up effectively and use these new powers on. Um, whether he deserved it or not, it's kind of, it's there. Like it's in, it's in the episode, it's there. But the whole point is that could she have known for definite that he deserved it or was this just someone going, keep, keep your distance from me? And she grabbed him and threw him off the bus. It's a good decision because the point is more about Trish is looking for a fight here. Yeah. But she's also kind of looking for anything. And I don't mean to now, uh, sort of, make it seem as though I'm saying that Malcolm is anything or anyone. <laughs> but, uh, you know, she, you know, she finds out from, from Jessica that he has a thing for her and that she should stop leading him on, mm-hmm. uh, at Jessica's apartment, uh, to the point where, you know, are we going to be looking at hell kittens in, in, in the near future? Um, because we really have, again, another, Another pretty powerful um, love scene here. You know, we have Jessica in the super swimming around in paint on a canvas. And here we have um, this moment where, you know, Malcolm kind of says, look, look at me, look at me. You know, she's kind of not looking at him and he wants to make sure that this is not just another Marlene or, or Mary or any of the girls that have come back to his apartment potentially mm. that he's, you know, he's had this crush on Trish, it would seem. And he, you know, he's asking her to look at him in, you know, in his eyes. And it's, you know, is Trish here just using him because she's absolutely full of the, the IGH, uh, puffer, uh, the inhaler or, is there something going to materialize from uh, from this? But she does kind of call out, "I see you." But yeah. is this in the? Is this because of the heightened senses? You know that fantastic image that we saw in in the derelict house uh, when they find Inez, where her her vision almost goes like to night vision. Um, you know, is it some kind of reaction to that? So I really like the fact that as soon as Hellcat or Trish takes on this igh uh puffer that she is just like bring it on and that can be almost anything yeah Yeah. i think it's really interesting that she does go in and use the puffer immediately and then directly afterwards comes back out and has sex with malcolm i think that's that's really interesting that she's done that but as you say that moment where malcolm says to her look in my eyes is trying to bring her back into the moment between the two of them and she does respond to him as you say saying um i see you so We'll have to find out as the episodes go on, but I think Malcolm is trying to make sure she's on, she's being straight with him, being honest with him, but I'm not sure whether she is or not, or whether she was just, if anybody in that room was there just after she'd taken that puffer, uh, would she have just jumped them as well? This is the most nauseating line of dialogue (laughs) in Jessica Jones. I'm sorry, this just made me go, oh, that's so cheesy. I understand the rationale, I understand the reasoning, and the, the underlying subtext. But if I was ever with my partner and I was going, look at me, look, and she goes, I see you. I'd be like, well, nope, that's it, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you big romantic. I'm sorry, I just, I can't, yeah, I, I just like, that's it, done. No, 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 that's too cheesy for me. <laughs> it was, okay, so I agree with you, I think it was basically, she was, um... All her senses were heightened by this, uh, the by the puffer, and mm-hmm. that in, probably included her emotional spectrum of arousal 
And she just, she knew that Malcolm had a thing for her. And she, to put it very bluntly, she was horny and any port in the storm was there. So, (laughs) but anyway, let's move on. Uh, Because I I think, I want to see where this goes. I'd Uh like to see them as a couple. I ship Malcolm Trish. If you yep. will, I'm down with the kids. I use the word ship. But <laughs> let's see where this goes. But more importantly, I want to see where the, the, the descent into addiction goes for mm-hmm. this story. Yeah. Patsy becoming a superpowered individual, potentially a superhero. That's a nice storyline. I want to see where it goes. But more importantly, I want to see where this previous addict, who is now addicted to something else, potentially worse, mm-hmm. goes. Because that is a good storyline. Um, yeah. And especially since she's now also sleeping with a previous addict as well. Exactly. Yeah. Let's not forget that Malcolm was uh, addicted to heroin in the final, in the previous season and is still dealing with the effects of that, uh, which is a good lead into the next point. Um, Malcolm goes to college or case, case note number four. Um, Malcolm's really coming up in his skills as a, as a private investigator, isn't he? Um, yeah. He's definitely learned some tricks from Jessica Jones. And as we called out with his discussion with Inez, they're not always good tricks. He's pretty dark in some of these moments. I really like how Ekadarvel plays this at, at the college where he meets his, his ex-girlfriend. And because you can really see the struggle in, in his face, uh, in his expression, as he's kind of asking her to kind of, you know, give him another chance now as a friend. Um, yes, he, he messed up, but, you know, things were rough. Um, and, and it was really good to get that insight um, into the background of Malcolm, yeah. you know, him going back to his alma mater, to his university, uh, and really um, finding that uneasy. But then he's also finding it uneasy to effectively lie to his his former girlfriend. He whips out her security pass and access badge yeah. for the university. And you see just afterwards as he turns away and he looks at it, he's kind of like... I just didn't want to do that. But his PI um, role, you know, what he's learning is that he sometimes has to to leverage and use his connections in order to get further into and down the investigation. And mm. I, I like that he's kind of struggling a bit with um, the two people that he's he is in terms of who he is as Malcolm and who he is as Malcolm the PI, uh, and certainly, you know, what's what's rubbing off uh, from from Jessica. I thought that was really good. I do like the fact that, um, as well, I love Jessica's moment where she goes, it's a teaching moment, Malcolm, uh, don't wait for permission, as he's figured out that the ring on Dr. Carl's finger is not a wedding band like Jessica thought, but is from his old alma mater, um, the the university mm-hmm. and i that was really really good he also does notice by um all the paint on, on jessica as well that she's doing the walk of shame and banging the super as well so his skills are coming on no end absolutely yeah yeah oh this really kind of hurt me um in that we, i kept seeing malcolm as becoming this better person and then Seeing him do this, you're like, oh no, no, we're opening the floodgates. And I had discussed when, uh-huh. in the last episode, how I was hoping that by Jerry saying to him, you're taking on too much of Jessica, uh, for it being a good thing, that that mm-hmm. would be a point where he's like, oh, okay, I need to stop 
channeling my inner Jessica. But Derek, you were right. I don't say that often. But uh, you were right in that, like, I think that <laughs> he is. Yeah. Um, he doesn't see it as a problem. He sees it as a good thing. He can become as cold, calculated as Jessica was. Um, and I think that's what we're seeing. Like, yeah. he basically yeah. used uh, an ex-girlfriend and her hurt and pain just so he could get the hug so that he could steal the card just to get to the case. Yeah, it's just coupling it with the apology to steal the car. It just felt yeah. really dark. It felt really bad. Um, she's going to walk away and think, now, did he mean anything of that apology? Because he stole my badge, you know? So he's le- not only has he leveraged a friendship, but he's used something that he genuinely does need to apologize to this person for how he treated her the last time he saw her. He's used it just to get a badge, to get a pass for to, to access the college records. Um yeah, it just feels dark. It feels like a really dark moment for him. But also, really importantly here, there's a bit of a change for our history or our knowledge of Malcolm, just from something that his his former friend says to him at the college. We had been told by Kilgrave in the previous season that the reason why he was chosen as the person to follow Jessica was because he was an innocent. He took He took the innocent Malcolm and made him into a drug addict so that he would be able to follow Jessica and she would ignore him. What we find out here is that he did party before, and that's why his friend is unwilling to forgive him, because she doesn't believe this idea that someone pushed him into taking drugs because she had seen him take drugs in the past. So it just makes him a little less innocent than we thought he was. Yeah, he he is not that uh, blooming rose of perfection that we all thought, that she really recognises that he was on that path to destruction anyway mm-hmm. through his hard partying at, at the university, probably with some drugs as well, and that you know, really, Kilgrave has has maximised that with exactly. his his control over Malcolm, yeah. um, and so yeah, she she's not willing to believe him. But I mean, ultimately, there is a bit of thawing between Malcolm and his ex here, um, which is nice to see. But again, then because he steals her badge, he's kind of like, exactly. okay, I'm really not being a good friend or, or person to this lady. Mm-hmm. One other thing I want to point out. One last bit that I have about Malcolm is it's in the back of my head there's something about his parents since Kilgrave it's it's been pointed out a few times that he wants his parents to be proud of him that's why um Cheng was trying to offer him a job to move over to his business we still haven't seen his father and mother we haven't seen the relationship between them what we thought in the past was he was an innocent social worker who was taken down this path of being a drug addict and ripping people off and robbing things to feed his drug habit by Kilgrave that's what we've kind of learned about him. But what has happened between his parents? Have they not forgiven him for the things he did while he was an addict? There's something else there that we're going to see, hopefully coming up in future episodes. Good catch. Actually, I've been wondering about this myself for a while. I'm wondering if it's the overbearing father storyline, mm. where my father was never proud of me, yada, yada, yada. He's just trying to get his father's approval or mother's approval or mother's love. Or there's something deeper, darker, and I'm wondering if there's an addiction piece there as well. My father was an addict, my mother was an addict, or something. Maybe. I I'm, I kind of feel like he was the golden child before he went to college, and then their relationship broke down after that. And whether it was just to do with Kilgrave, or whether it was something that he did while he was at college, as indicated by this ex that he's talking to, it's something like that, whether, it's, whether it happened there or whether it was because of Kilgrave, I'm not too sure, but... 
I definitely think it's going to come back up later. Yeah, but I mean, he comes back with the goods as well here, you know, identifying uh, Carl Malus from the class of 1978. So, you know, his detective skills are coming on leaps and bounds. Mm-hmm. And obviously leads to um Jessica and Trish going uh, after Justice Ambrose and ultimately to that final big ending with um the reveal of crazy meat face lady as being Jessica's mum. Uh, but I think onto our final point, Inez and Jerry, and Inez is very distressed. Um, well at least a t shirt is. At least yes, at least a t shirt <laughs> is. Um I loved these two. I loved Inez with Malcolm. I want more Inez. I hope she becomes a really um, sort of permanent feature of this cast. I've really enjoyed um, having her interacting with Malcolm, with Jessica and Trish, and now with Jerry. You know, so, so many good lines uh, in this. From when Jerry buys her this distressed t-shirt, the jeans, the bra, and she asks Jerry, how do I look? And she goes, like a waste of my time. Because Jerry is not getting the information mm-hmm. from Inez on IGH at all here. I mean, Inez effectively kind of says, um, yeah, I was a nurse. I knew the other nurse. I didn't really know the doctors. And then I kind of got beaten up by this crazy lady at the facility. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Jerry is just like in this is not working out at all. You know, she's eating her Swiss chocolates. She is, and, and she ends up rifling through Jerry's drawers. Um, and <laughs> we have the great, great moment where not only does, as a nurse, she spot the ALS drugs, but there are Jerry's, um, more intimate items. And, uh, yeah, I, I just, love when she comes back to Jerry when she's in bed. Not only does she not knock, but, you know, she pulls out the the pearl necklace that uh, she's stolen from Jerry, along with all the drugs. And um, you just get that fantastic line from Jerry, you trashy little skank. Um, but this moment leads on to uh, just a nicer moment between these two, where really um, Inez does start to kind of say be more honest with Jerry because she's like, I saw these, you've got ALS. You know, she wasn't sure about Jerry's motives, which is absolutely understandable. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's, she, she opens up here, um, to, to Jerry about a healer, um, at IGH who actually helped her recover from her broken back yeah. and her scarring. And this patient is a, is a young boy. Now I know it's not going to be Iron Fist, mm-hmm. but as soon as it was mentioned, I just sort of Iron Fist using his hands to to heal um in, in his first series you know yeah. i thought oh could it be iron fist you know could it be danny rand here it is absolutely not going to be well it can't be because no. obviously he only learned how to heal during the first season of iron fist exactly and jerry's already met him at this age so of course there's no way that he could have been there 10 years ago or 15 years ago whenever this happened to inez he could not have been there for that. But I totally agree with you. The moment when you hear a boy with healing hands was there, you're going, Iron Fist, of course. Yeah, or Jesus, I suppose. And I mean, the, the great thing I, is just because it's Hogarth as well, it would have been a nice link-in just with Jerry Hogarth and Danny Rand. Yeah. But yeah, it, it it isn't. But hey, hey-ho, it's nice to discuss um, these improbable theories anyway. Mm-hmm. 
It would also be nice if she picked up the phone to her friend Danny Rand when she's just reminded of a boy with healing hands and goes, actually, I do know someone like that that I should have thought about. Yeah, I I, I actually didn't think of Iron Fist. Um, I actually really? think Inez is potentially lying about this boy. Um, okay. I, I don't know. It's just almost too coincidental. Timing is perfect. There's, there's more to this story. You have to be the one to accept this, Chris, because you're the one that pointed out that Inez said yeah. she broke her back and couldn't walk. So you were right. Yeah, about yeah, it. thank you. Just one <laughs> you thing. have to accept it. <laughs> I know. Um, I do. No, I do like this. I like this idea. Um, it is interesting that it sounds like IGH have tried various methods then of trying to do what they've done. They brought people back to life in the past. We've heard uh, about Jessica being brought back to life and getting the powers. But they seem to also been using this healing boy to to heal people as well. So they definitely have some uh, some me- various methods. I suppose. But what if that boy was mm-hmm. his powers, his gift from coming back from the dead was healing? Like that's the thing. Yeah, I, I'm I'm wondering if potentially Meatface is the boy, and it's mm-hmm. something along the lines of the more I heal you the worse my scars and my pain becomes. Because she does mention... Ah, yeah. It hurt the boy. Take the toll on him. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I like that theory, definitely. Very that good. Yeah, every time he heals, a, a bit of him is destroyed or is scarred from, from that that power, yeah. I, I really did like this scene. I liked the, the one bit you see Inez potentially trying to use her body as a weapon... Um, in this scene, as a way to distract Hogarth, because she just mm-hmm. fully whips her clothes off and starts changing. Yeah, I was definitely looking at that scene, going, uh, "Jerry, her eyes are up there." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do see these two actually potentially hooking up at some way or fashion. Um, but it'd be interesting to see. I want to see where this story goes. I don't believe in as telling the whole truth, um, because she said she wasn't. Um, but anyway, gentlemen, um, I think that wraps up all our massive and main points of discussion for and our case notes for this episode. So without further ado, does anyone have any actual notes they want to bring in? Just one that I wanted to call out, um, which I thought was interesting. We mentioned about ALS, the uh, the disease that Jerry has. I knew there was a reason I'd, I'd heard about ALS before. A nice indication as well about how long ago this episode was written as well, because uh, Jerry calls it out about do you want to do the ice bucket challenge and bring, and bring some light onto ALS. Is that what you want to do? She says to Inez, that's exactly what the ice bucket challenge was for, to bring light on ALS, the disease. So we have all heard about this disease before and probably all of us have done the ice bucket challenge. Oh, yeah, it was. It was a cold, dark night where I was splashed with ice. I have a note. Um, it's slightly less scientific and more comic book filled. Dr. Carl Malice is uh, from the comic books. He is um, a, a character from there. His first full appearance was in the pages of Spider-Woman 30 back in September 1980. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he's, he's got a bit of pedigree there. He's Believe it or not, he's long time. Like we're talking over nearly 40 years. Aside from the general history of messing with third-tier kind of superhumans, he was a prominent character back and forth in some of the Spider-Woman story arcs, if you will. Um, and nice tie-in here is that the co-creator of Jessica Jones, Brian Michael Bendis, um, who uh, we know had done a lot of work on this show, potentially at the very first season, he was like he's still down as one of the show creators. 
Um, he did a lot of work on Spider Woman, probably including a story about Malice. We need to double check that, but we're pretty sure there's a connection there. So nice piece, nice kind of tie in. Uh, Malice goes on in the comic books to actually become a Spider Man, um, foe, a large one, which in that he becomes a carnage human hybrid. He is swallowed right. and digested by Carnage, and in the di- during the digestion, his uh, his genetics are mutated, and he becomes half Carnage, half human uh, symbiote. So it's quite interesting, interesting, and but he has a long history of messing and testing on superpowered people, creating superpowered people uh, or villains. He has a long history of this in the comic books. Um, so very interesting to okay. see. How 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 truthful they'll stay on this character, but I don't. I think they've just taken the the slight kind of he's a doctor who tests on and trying to create superhuman. I think that's the, the crux of what they'll take. Right? Are you saying we are going to get Carnage in? Uh, I, I don't think Jones? so. I think that's uh, owned by uh, Sony at the moment. <laughs> uh, but I would love to see it. Yes, mm-hmm. it would be quite cool, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But there is a deal between. Marvel and uh, and the Spider Man family yeah, at the moment. So. Yeah, but unfortunately, as we know with the Venom movie, uh, that's not connected totally. To the, we will not be getting the Venom and the Carnages in the MCU. We get yes. Spider Man in the MCU, and we'll get Spider Man in some form in the Sony universe. Uh, they may be connected tangentially. That's about as close as we'll get. Maybe, maybe. Let's let's see how it goes. Any other notes, guys? Uh, just to say, really, really enjoyed. Um, you know, Jessica's fish were hurt, people were terrorized uh, <laughs> as she goes into the jewelry shop, and of course, there's that lovely moment where Jessica Jones is reading one of the you know trash mags um, art from the newsstand about Griffin and uh, Trish. And she just looks across to see a, a, a younger uh, female reading the same stuff. And the, you get the complete dislook of, of this girl by by Jessica, who's like going, oh, I'm not like one of those people that read these kind of trashy yeah. uh, media mags about all about relationships and so on. I, I, just, I just liked the look that Jessica threw over and then she just chucks the, the magazine back onto the stand. Really disgusted. Kind of yeah, look, wasn't it? Really, just like, you know, those moments are, are little moments uh, in Jessica's character. I just think, you know, are peppered through these episodes and, and it's just really nice um, to have. Mm-hmm. So no more notes from me and gentlemen, no more notes from you. I think it is about time we start wrapping up this episode. So with that, Derek, do you defend Jessica Jones Season 2, Episode 6, a.k.a. FaceTime? I absolutely defend this episode. I don't think that's any surprise uh, for for this one. Um, Definitely really, really enjoyed it. One of the things I said was that the entire series probably hung on this episode. If you don't take this reveal, if you don't take this moment of that's Jessica's mother and don't move on to the next episode, well, you know what? This show probably isn't for you. So, um... I think a lot is hanging on the cliffhanger in this episode. And I was had my jaw on the floor when it happened, when I saw it. Uh, really good. But overall, there's so much other good stuff going on. Like the Malcolm storyline in the episode. I love the Trish storyline in this episode. I think it's really, really good. 
And yeah, some great stuff with, with Jessica. So yeah, true, proper defend from me. Chris, do you defend this episode of Jessica Jones? I do. Um, I, I can't say much more than what we've said in our kind of synopsis and the in the actual, in our discussions. And I agree with you, Derek. This is very much the, the crux, the turning point of whether someone will continue or someone will not. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard many people saying they love this season and many people saying, meh. And I think this is, the, if you do not like the storyline, if you do not like the reveal, then you do not like this. And that is mm-hmm. fine. There, there is Luke Cage. There is Iron Fist. There is Daredevil. Uh, there are many other shows. Me personally, I love this. This was my, as John said, Star Wars moment. Right. This was right. my Empire Strikes Back. I was like, oh my god! And I actually had to get my fiance to like turn off because I was like watching the Netflix countdown, going, yep. starting the next episode in. 10, 9, I'm like, yeah, I want to see what happens, <laughs> but we have to record the podcast. <laughs> so this was a tough one for me, but I loved it. I'm dying to see what happens next. And yeah, let's let's find out what happens. John, do you defend Jessica Jones season two, episode six? I do defend this episode of Jessica Jones. It's really difficult for my uh, out of five this time. I just don't know whether to go kind of nerdy reference or just out trashy ho, to be honest. (laughs) And there's so many good things in this episode. So I'm going to give both of them. I give this five kids to feed out of five. Nice. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Loved this episode of Jessica Jones. Or alternatively, I give this... Four purple rockets out of five with an additional trashy skank for extra measure. So another five out of five. I loved this episode. Um, loved the reveal. And as you say, Chris, it is for me a real Empire Strikes Back moment. I, I just loved it. I loved the slow build into it. Um, I loved how all these different touches and nods that kind of had been teased out in previous episodes were coming in. I absolutely adored Jerry and Inez together, reluctantly bickering, being bitter, uh, but eventually, you know, Jerry getting something from having um, Inez there in in her home and protecting her. I really hope that Inez stays around in in some form or another because I really like this character. I like the dynamic that she brings to the other cast members, in this case, Jerry, and last week with Malcolm. I love Trisha's descent here and her increasing dependence on this IGH puffer and just what that's bringing to her. You know, that this Hellcat is prowling New York. She wants to be in there. She wants to investigate. She wants to beat up random people that she thinks are doing bad things. Mm -hmm. She wants to... uh, utilize that enhanced arousal part of her spectrum uh she really is um going full on in here but we're seeing sort of the dangers of that um you know and of course uh jessica uh just fantastic here uh moving through this investigation with trish moving through um her super oscar as well and you know that that reveal at the moment coming back to that just really, really good. So absolutely defend this episode of Jessica Jones, the best so far for me. 
Excellent, excellent. The one thing I definitely want to know is how much is in that IGH buffer. If Trish is getting this addicted to it, and there was only one of them available, which is the one that she took from Will Simpson, what happens when she finishes off that that buffer? Absolutely, she's going to go crazy, or she's going to ask someone to manufacture it again. When she learns of Dr. Carl, will she think that he can manufacture more of it for her? Perhaps. Is suddenly... Jessica and Trish, are they going to kind of diverge here? Uh, because Trish has got her own plan um, because she needs more of this stuff to make her who she wants to be or just that she's pure um, dependent on on this substance. You know, how is Malcolm going to sort of maybe pull her off that ledge if he can? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, so some really interesting things um, that I'm expecting and I'm intrigued about uh, moving forwards, definitely. Yeah. But on that question mark, gentlemen, should we just give a, a look into some of the feedback we've received for this episode? Yeah, our first piece of feedback on this episode came in from Jamie Young. She says, I was totally blown away by the reveal at the end of this episode. I was convinced we were dealing with some kind of shapeshifter. It never once occurred to me that the monster would be a member of Jessica's family, much less her mother. Janet McTeer is such a phenomenal actress. The emotion on her face when Jessica says, mom made me tear up. I really love the idea of the shapeshifter there, Jamie, for sure. Um, and yeah, Janet McTeer is just so good. In fact, I, I love that kind of, you know, the, the, the stare off, the face off, the wig off. Yeah. Between, um, <laughs> between Janet McTeer and Kristen Ritter here in that basement. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, Doug Green uh, also says, yeah, it took me about an episode to pick my jaw off the floor. <laughs> yeah. Complete sort of. Wow moment, um, complete unexpected moment. So, so good. And uh, closing out, fellow Defender Ray went on to say, What a reveal at the end. I'm starting to think Defender Frederick's theory is starting to gain traction too. Also, mm-hmm. as an aside, Hogarth and her plight. Has anyone else thought, we need Danny to heal her? Yes, I believe uh, John was just in this episode talking about that very same thing. Good to know that yeah. we're all on the same page. Yeah, we're on the same page, and we're most likely to be completely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. But one of the things I just want to point out from the feedback there, I totally agree with what our fellow defenders are saying about this reveal being a family member is a complete shock, because from episode one of season one, we thought Jessica has been an orphan, she lost her brother and her parents, so the idea that they've brought back one of the other people in that car accident is a total shock to me. It, that's why it became such a surprise. Not just her mother, it's that from the beginning we thought everybody else in her family has been dead for 17 years and she's been on her own. So it's an interesting reveal. I'm wondering how long her mother has known Jessica's been around. But like loads of questions and I'm really interested to see those answers as the episodes come up. Exactly. How many more of her family are alive? Is her father? Is her brother? Or were they all kind of melded into her mother to survive? Is this the thing from John Carpenter and it's Jessica's mother? (laughs) Very interesting. Okay, so from one horror film uh, analogy to, well, none. Uh, Gentlemen, it is St. Patrick's Day, so I think it is time we wrap up this episode. Because actually... I don't care about St. Patrick and getting out and chasing his snakes away. All I want to do is run over to my TV and watch episode 7. So, fellow Defenders, thank you so much for joining us. Don't forget you can go over to Twitter at DefendersCast if you want to talk to us there. 
And we would be very happy if you could jump over to Apple Podcasts, a.k.a. iTunes, and write us your view. Make sure you subscribe as well and share the love. How do you share the love? Share the podcast. Thank you so much. So you can subscribe at DefendersTVPodcast.com for slash iTunes or any good or evil, sober or drunk podcast catcher around the world. We'll be back with our review of Jessica Jones Season 2, Episode 7, a.k.a. I Want Your Cray Cray, next week. And don't forget, you can follow us along on our Doctor Strange Damnation coverage where my fellow hosts are knocking it out of the park. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. No problem. Fellow Defenders... Fellow co-hosts, I want to go watch the next episode. Go so goodbye. I, I want your cray cray, Chris. Ah, uh, you say the sweetest things. <laughs> yes, we all want your cray cray, Chris. And um, just keep it in the box, though, for now. For now, keep your cray cray in the box. And um, as always, fellow defenders, thank you so much for listening. As Oscar says, this is where the magic happens, uh, and the magic will be back next time. We can't wait to speak with you. Bye. Bye.